Today, I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on do not sin again. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy God, send your spirit upon us, that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. Um, those of you who are here in the room, you might not have seen the little beginning to the scripture. That was my mama who read it. And yes, it's precious. And yes, I had to watch it many times so I wouldn't cry this morning because it's making me cry. She joins us for worship almost every Sunday. So, Carol Wood, thank you very much for reading our scripture today. And happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you who are mothers, to you who have mothers, to you who celebrate people who are maternal figures in your life or powerful women or people that nurture you. I hope in all of those categories you have at least one that you can celebrate today. So do you remember how in elementary school birthday parties were the thing? Was that the case for you growing up? I think they still are, at least for my kids, they were like the big thing. You know, first, second, third grade, something like that. But by the time I had kids, there were very strict guidelines about handing out invitations at school. You had to make sure everyone in your class was invited. Nobody left out, right? But back in my day, which was a few years ago, there was no such rule. And you could invite anyone you pleased and not invite the people that you wanted to stay away. Now, I was not necessarily a cool kid, but I don't remember getting left out any more than anybody else. And 
I'm pretty sure that my mom made me invite every single kid in the class to my own birthday party. Mothers! I do vividly remember Robin Bishop inviting me to her birthday party, first or second grade. And I also vividly remember being in the bathtub on a Saturday morning, getting ready for a party I didn't want to go to, whining to my mother. Robin's not cool. She lives in a trailer house. Ugh. She sometimes wears clothes that are dirty and crumpled. Mwah. Nobody cool is going to be there, so I don't know why I need to be there. I did not want to go. And I remember my mother saying something to the effect of, Sandy, Robin invited you because she wants you to be there. She is a perfectly fine girl. If you really don't want to go, I'm not going to force you, but I think it would be good, and I think you'd have a good time. Oh, my mom was always being like that. She always thought the wrong kids were sweet. You know, like that boy had such a nice smile, or that girl was really funny and quick. It was always the wrong kids that she liked. It's almost like she could look past the petty standards of elementary school kids and see the value of each child. And it was almost like she knew when some kids needed just a little bit extra. And she was always pushing me to do the same. She'd never force me into it, but the challenge was there. So in the end, I went. I wasn't the only one there. Robin Martin also showed up. So the two Robins and I, we played outside, we ate cake, we opened presents. And I think that for a girl who had a lot going against her, her family was kind of poor. Her family life wasn't all that great. And for a girl who was often not invited, she felt special on her special day. And I did have a good time. But man, that sense of who is in and who is out starts so early, first and second grade. I would not have known the term social suicide in first grade, but I remember having the sense that I was committing it by going to Robin's party. So imagine how intense that sense would be in the lives of the ancient Jews whose faith and very way of life was built upon very strict laws. Many of these laws were to keep people pure, which I think can be understood as strong and healthy in a lot of ways. And if we think way back to the, you know, very beginning of the Bible, to this very, very young, vulnerable tribe of Israelites trying to make a way in the world and establish their people as a lasting legacy... It makes sense that there would be certain laws. Certain laws like don't eat these foods, A, B, C, D, as a very early 
form of food safety, since food poisoning could very well kill you, right? It makes sense that there might be laws about people who are sick and keeping them away from others, because a bad disease could easily wipe out a whole tribe. It makes sense that there might be laws about sexual purity because sexually transmitted diseases could affect procreation and the blessing of future generations. And any who were not strong and not healthy were a burden to the community and a stressor on limited resources, and they were often just cast out. It can seem cruel to our more modern ears, but in this ancient world, it was a way for this young, vulnerable, frail, small family of people to survive, endure, and grow. By Jesus' time, these laws were steadfast. They had not been reviewed or reimagined for a new time, when the Jewish people were much stronger in number and lived in many places across the ancient world. One of the things that kept their unified identity was the keeping of the law, no matter where the people lived. And the religious authorities like the scribes and the Pharisees were tasked with interpreting and keeping the law and all its commands. It was a way of keeping people in line, true to the law, a consistent, if not controlled, way of faith and living. So what to do with this Jesus? This character who brought new perspectives and new interpretations of this very old law. In many stories throughout the Gospels, we see religious figures trying to tie him up, trip him up, put him to the test, hoping that he might embarrass himself and give up this sham of the promise of a new kingdom. The old ways were just fine. And so on this particular occasion, which we find in John chapter 8, the scribes and the Pharisees go out and find a woman caught in the act of adultery. It's always interesting to scholars, of course, that while the woman was caught in the act of adultery, it's only the woman that gets brought to Jesus for judgment. Essentially, this is a trap. Both the woman... And the actual law are merely pawns in a game to thwart Jesus and his authority and for the religious authorities to gain theirs back. And who doesn't love, I love this part of the story, that Jesus hears their challenge and then immediately disengages from it and goes to draw in the dirt. Good tactic, Jesus. Total diversion, right? Now, there have been some that have said, oh, if we only knew what Jesus was writing in the dirt, all sorts of truths would be revealed to us. It would unlock insight to the story. But the New Interpreter's Bible says that 
actually, Jesus riding on the ground, it doesn't matter what he was riding. It's just the act of him totally refusing to engage with the question. So basically, the scribes and Pharisees are trying to set the board for a game, and Jesus is refusing to play. Instead, when he has clearly declined to rise to their challenge, he turns that challenge upside down by asking for the person who is, out, who is without sin to cast that first stone at the woman. Essentially, they wanted to stone her until she died. And as Jesus turns it around and says to them, those who are without sin, you can cast the stones, they have to look inward. Then Jesus, being done with them, just done, goes back back to right in the dirt. And eventually, because each person there was asked to look inward, each wanders away. They have no technical, lawful way to squiggle out of that one. Because Jesus, once again, has turned the law on its head and challenged people to think about their own actions instead of focusing on the actions of others. But for people who had lived for generations in a legalistic fashion, declaring who was in and who was out, this was more than upsetting. This was dangerous. They would have been angry because their laws were based on Moses receiving the word of God. This was everything that established their religion as being the way. And here was this Jesus proclaiming to be the voice of God, God incarnate, God in flesh. And his message was one of throwing wide the gates. It was one of inclusivity and welcome. And that had to have been hard to swallow. Because all they had ever known was the clear boundaries of community, which often left people out so that the community could survive. What Jesus suggests to them then is radical. He challenges the social and religious world that has been built and sustained for hundreds of years. His simple act of grace was an explosive way of questioning the position of social and religious power that the scribes and Pharisees held and offered a promise of freedom for all people for the survival of all persons. And of course, we know it's a challenge that Jesus continues today. A question that is to plumb the depths of our own hearts and our behaviors and practices central to our community 
to consider who is left out because they somehow fail to meet an outdated or arbitrary measure of righteousness or cleanliness or coolness. Now, Jesus isn't going to force us if we really don't want to do it. But the challenge is there. And when in doubt, perhaps we can find a place where we can consider. What are the people around us and who are they? Are they all the right people? If so, we have some work to do. Because over and over again, Jesus hung out with the wrong crowd. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.